waited, and it is always so when men work magic. If the woman had sent Kim up to the local Jadu Gare with those papers, he would, of course, have been taken over by the provincial lodge and sent to the Masonic orphanage in the hills. But what she had heard of magic she distrusted. Kim, too, held views of his own. As he reached the years of indiscretion, he learned to avoid missionaries and white men of serious aspect who asked who he was and what he did. For Kim did nothing with an immense success. True, he knew the wonderful walled city of Lahore, from the Delhi Gate to the outer Fort Ditch, was hand in glove with men who led lives stranger than anything Harun al-Rashid dreamed of. And he lived in a life wild as that of the Arabian Nights, but missionaries and secretaries of charitable societies could not see the beauty of it. His nickname through the wards was Little Friend of All the World, and very often, being lithe and inconspicuous, he executed commissions by night on the crowded housetops for sleek and shiny young men of fashion. It was intrigue, of course. He knew that much, as he had known all evil since he could speak. But what he loved was the game for its own sake, the stealthy prowl through the dark gullies and lanes, the crawl up a water-pipe, the sights and sounds of the women's world on the flat roofs, and the headlong flight from housetop to housetop under cover of the hot dark. Then there were holy men, ash-smeared fakirs, by their brick shrines under the trees at the riverside, with whom he was quite familiar, greeting them as they returned from begging tours, and when no one was by, eating from the same dish. The woman who looked after him insisted with tears that he should wear clothes, trousers, a shirt, and a battered hat. Kim found it easier to slip into Hindu or Mohammedan garb when engaged on certain businesses. One of the young men of fashion, he who was found dead at the bottom of a well on the night of the earthquake, had once given him a complete suit of Hindu kit, the costume of a low-caste street boy, and Kim stored it in a secret place under some balks in Neela Ram's timber yard beyond the Punjab High Court where the fragrant deodar logs lie seasoning after they have driven down the ravine. When there was business or frolic afoot, Kim would use his properties, returning at dawn to the veranda, all tired out from shouting at the heels of a marriage procession, or yelling at a Hindu festival. Sometimes there was food in the house, more often there was not, and then Kim went out again to eat with his native friends. As he drummed his heels against Zamzama, he turned now and again from his king-of-the-castle game with little Chota Lal and Abdallah, the sweetmeat-seller's son, to make a rude remark to the native policeman on guard over rows of shoes at the museum door. The big Punjabi grinned tolerantly. He knew Kim of old. So did the water-carrier sluicing water on the dry road from his goatskin bag. So did Jawahir Singh, the museum carpenter, bent over new packing-cases. So did everybody in sight except the peasants from the country, hurrying up to the wonder-house to view the things that men made in their own province and elsewhere. The museum was given up to Indian arts and manufacturers, and anybody who sought wisdom could ask the curator to explain. "'Off, off, let me up!' cried Abdallah, climbing up Zamzama's wheel. "'Thy father was a pastry-cook. Thy mother stole the ghee,' sang Kim. "'All Mussulmans fell off Zamzama long ago. "'Let me up!' shrilled little Chota Lal in his gilt-embroidered cap. 
His father was worth perhaps half a million sterling, but India is the only democratic land in the world. The Hindus fell off Zamzama too. The Mussulmans pushed them off. Thy father was a pastry cook. He stopped, for there shuffled round the corner from the roaring Moti Bazaar, such a man as Kim, who thought he knew all castes, had never seen. He was nearly six feet high, dressed in fold upon fold of dingy stuff like horse-blanketing, and not one fold of it could Kim refer to any known trade or profession. At his belt hung a long open-work iron pen-case, and a wooden rosary such as holy men wear. On his head was a gigantic sort of tam His face was yellow and wrinkled, like that of Fuk Xing, the Chinese bootmaker in the bazaar. His eyes turned up at the corners and looked like little slits of onyx. "'Who is that?' said Kim to his companions. "'Perhaps it is a man,' said Abdullah, finger in mouth, staring. "'Without doubt,' returned Kim. "'But he is no man of India that I have ever seen.' "'A priest, perhaps,' said Shotalal, spying the rosary. "'See, he goes into the wonder-house.' "'Nay, nay,' said the policeman, shaking his head. "'I do not understand your talk.' The constable spoke Punjabi. "'Oh, friend of all the world, what does he say?' "'Send him hither,' said Kim, dropping from Zamzama, flourishing his bare heels. "'He is a foreigner, and thou art a buffalo.' The man turned helplessly and drifted towards the boys. He was old, and his woolen gabardine still reeked of the stinking Artemisia of the mountain passes. "'Oh, children, what is that big house?' he said in very fair Urdu. "'The Ajaib Ger, the Wonder House.' Kim gave him no title, such as Lala or Mian. He could not divine the man's creed. "'Ah, the Wonder House! Can any enter?' "'It is written above the door. All can enter.' "'Without payment?' "'I go in and out. I am no banker,' laughed Kim. "'Alas! I am an old man. I did not know.' Then, fingering his rosary, he half turned to the museum. "'What is your caste? Where is your house? Have you come far?' I came by Kulu, from beyond the Kailas. But what know you? From the hills where, he sighed, the air and water are fresh and cool. Aha, Kitai, Chinaman, said Abdallah proudly. Fuk Xing had once chased him out of his shop for spitting at the joss above the boots. Pahari, a hillman, said little Chotalal. Ay, child, a hillman from hills thou'lt never see. Didst hear of Boitial, Tibet? I am no Kitai, but a Boitia, Tibetan, since you must know a Lama, or say a Guru in your tongue. A Guru from Tibet, said Kim. I have not seen such a man. They be Hindus in Tibet, then? We be followers of the Middle Way, living in peace in our lamasseries, and I go to see the four holy places before I die. Now do you, who are children, "'Know as much as I do who am old.' "'He smiled benignantly on the boys. "'Hast thou eaten?' "'He fumbled in his bosom "'and drew forth a worn wooden begging bowl. "'The boys nodded. "'All priests of their acquaintance begged. "'I do not wish to eat yet.' "'He turned his head like an old tortoise in the sunlight. "'Is it true that there are many images "'in the wonder house of Lahore?' "'He repeated the last words "'as one making sure of an address.' "'That is true,' said Abdullah. 
It is full of heathen buttes. Thou also art an idolater. Never mind him, said Kim. That is the government's house, and there is no idolatry in it, but only a sahib with a white beard. Come with me, and I will show. Strange priests eat boys, whispered Shotalal. And he is a stranger, and a butte parast, idolater, said Abdullah, the Mohammedan. Kim laughed. He is new. Run to your mother's laps, and be safe. Come. Kim clicked round the self-registering turnstile. The old man followed, and halted amazed. In the entrance hall stood the larger figures of the Greco-Buddhist sculptures done, savants know how long since, by forgotten workmen whose hands were feeling, and not unskillfully, for the mysteriously transmitted Grecian touch. There were hundreds of pieces, friezes of figures in relief, fragments of statues and slabs crowded with figures that had encrusted the brick walls of the Buddhist stupas and viharas of the north country, and now, dug up and labeled, made the pride of the museum. In open-mouthed wonder, the lama turned to this and that, and finally checked in rapt attention before a large alto-relief representing a coronation or apotheosis of the Lord Buddha. The master was represented seated on a lotus, the petals of which were so deeply undercut as to show almost detached. Round him was an adoring hierarchy of kings, elders, and old-time Buddhas. Below were lotus-covered waters with fishes and water-birds. Two butterfly-winged dewars held a wreath over his head, Above them another pair supported an umbrella, surmounted by the jewelled headdress of the Bodhisat. "'The Lord! The Lord! It is Sakyamuni himself!' the Lama half-sobbed.